I'm Gretchen Esguera and welcome to this episode of After the Fact where we get to see things quite clearly but we get a better sense of the truth. Let's start by dissecting the news. Almost five years ago, the Philippines did what many perhaps thought was unthinkable, score a historic legal victory over China. The significance of the ruling by the Permanent Court of Arbitration cannot be overemphasized. Yes, it didn't settle the territorial dispute between Manila and Beijing because that's not within its jurisdiction. But it clarified the status of features in the disputed strat lease, including maritime entitlements under international law. Now, it's just a matter of abiding by the ruling, which is something Beijing has conveniently ignored. In the meantime, the man who took China to court passed away recently, leaving behind a legacy that showed how small countries such as the Philippines could topple the mighty so long as the law is in their side. But the journey to this victory was not easy. It is said there were even factions within the Aquino administration that were, quote, bitterly divided over whether to take China to court. Tonight, we'll talk about how the Philippines won its case against China and why it's not a mere paper victory, even if the current occupant in Malacanang has been very reluctant to enforce it. To be part of our discussion, send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight is uh, retired Supreme Court Senior Associate Justice Antonio Carpio. Good evening, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, good evening, Christian, and thank you for inviting me to your show. Okay, in a matter of days, the Philippines will mark the fifth year since the historic ruling by the Permanent Court of Arbitration. Of course, it's very important to talk about what to do next, uh, forward-looking discussions regarding this. But first, I'd like to give you the opportunity to address certain issues that, would, that were raised against your revelations in your column uh, last week regarding uh, the arbitral victory in the first place. Uh, there were people who are asking why raise the issue regarding this bitter faction within the Aquino administration at this time? Well, uh, I wanted to show that this was not an easy victory. That uh, uh, we had to uh, struggle all the way from beginning to end. So that in the future, our leaders will really... Uh, try to come out with a, a unified stand, whether inside or outside. And uh, once the president makes a decision, that should be followed. There should be no guerrilla warfare trying to sabotage the decision of the president. In this case, the president decided to file the arbitration case. And therefore, everybody in the president's cabinet, all his uh, people, should toe the line. But still, even after he made the decision to file the case, there were people within his uh, within his uh, office that were trying to sabotage it, and we cannot uh, we cannot have that kind of uh, 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 undertaking in the future. We must learn the lessons that we have to be uh, on the same page as the president. Like uh, when uh, Paul Reichler came here, that visit was arranged for several months in advance. And they came here all the way from the U.S. and waited for four hours only to be told that the president is too busy to see him, to see them. And to be told that uh, don't include Ito Aba uh, as an issue. Okay. And, uh, and that evening I met with them because I gave a dinner to the uh, team of uh, 
to Reichler and his group. And they were so disappointed. I mean, you traveled all the way from the US, you waited for four hours only to be told that the president cannot see you. And this meeting was arranged months in advance. And when the president was asked by Marites Vitog during the, his, her interview when he wrote that book, the president said, nobody ever meant, told me that they were there. Okay. In the first place, who were these people who tried to sabotage the decision to take China before the permanent court of arbitration? And why would they sabotage it? Well, of course, it's clear that uh, Ochoa uh, was part of it because he was the one who told uh, Reichler that uh, the president was too busy to see him and uh, told Reichler uh, uh, not to include Ito Aba as an issue. And there's uh, uh, Hilby who issued the instruction to Reichler to inform the tribunal not to rule on Ito Aba, which would cause the outright dismissal of our case. And when I told him, you cannot do that, and I will fight you if you issue that instruction, he desisted. But at the last minute, at the last hearing, he instructed a, a Reichler not to answer the questions of the tribunal. And of course, all the lawyers, uh, Reichler and uh, his other lawyers, rebelled because they knew the, the meaning of that. That means we will lose the case. And they would be, if they follow that instruction, they will be accused in the international community of selling out the case to China. Okay, you mentioned the former Executive Secretary Paquito Jojo Ochoa. You also mentioned former Sergeant Florin Hilbay. They were among those who tried to sabotage the arbitration case. Who else were part well, of this? I cannot say who else because um, my, my own personal knowledge is, uh, are the two of them. Okay, but, but why would they do that? Uh, that's the big question. I think that should be investigated by the Senate. Because the choice of word that you use was quite uh, strong, sabotage. What exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, because if you if the, if uh, that instruction of uh, Hilby was carried out, our case would have been dismissed outright by the tribunal. Because it was the duty of the tribunal to determine the status of Ituaba. And if you tell the tribunal, do not determine the status of Ituaba, then the court will say, well, we cannot hear this case because you're telling us not to rule on Ituaba. And to rule on Ituaba is essential. The court said necessary for the case. Okay. We asked about that same issue during a previous interview with former Justice uh, Francis Ardelesa, who was part of this case as soldier or agent of the state. He flatly said, that uh, no one, no one, including yourself, raised that issue of Ito Aba from the very beginning. It just came out much later, perhaps in the middle of uh, the year after the case was filed in January 2013. Well, no, that was included because in our statement of claim, uh, we said in the first pleading that we filed, we said that we have a full exclusive economic zone in the West Philippine Sea, especially in uh, opposite Palawan. When you say full, there is no island that has an overlapping EEZ. That means you have full, 200. Meaning you don't so, have to mention Ito Aba because... No, you don't have to mention okay. because you're saying all those islands, in effect, do not generate an EEZ because you're claiming to have full. Now, that, uh, but the lawyers, the so-called lawyers of China who did not really appear, but 
discuss it outside of the tribunal said, oh, you did not specify what islands. So they started to pick on that. So just to clarify everything, uh, Reichler wanted to be specific, but actually it was not needed anymore because he already said, we have a full EEZ. And the implication is that all those islands do not generate an EEZ. That's why even if we did not include it as an issue, the tribunal still ruled. But it's a different thing when you say, do not rule on Ituaba. That's different. That's okay. totally different. That will cause the dismissal of the case. So categorically, you're saying that Hilabai wanted uh, the PCA not to rule on Ituaba? That's what he told me when we met at the Manila Yacht Club. And I said, if you do that, if you give that instruction, I will fight you in public. I will go all over the country to denounce you because I knew exactly the consequence. Okay. But from because the in 2006, uh, China um, opted out of compulsory arbitration in cases of overlapping exclusive economic zones. That's allowed under UNCLOS. You can opt out any time of compulsory arbitration, but on a very limited ground, on very limited grounds. And one of the grounds is uh, overlapping maritime claims, maritime zones. And so it was essential for us to prove that there was no island there in the Spatis that had an EEZ. And the biggest island is Ituaba. So you just narrow down on Ituaba. If Ituaba has no EEZ, all the rest of the islands would have no EEZ. Okay. So this uh, should answer the, the issue raised by Justice Ardeles uh, a few days ago, that from the very beginning, you yourself was actually not clear, or you didn't say that it should be included. Your position from the beginning that Ituaba should have been included. It was implied because the moment uh, we stated in our statement of claim, we have a full EEZ. That means there are no overlapping EEZ from other islands belonging to other states. Because but when they started to uh, to propagandize, when China started to say, oh, Ituaba has an EEZ, uh, Reichler, Paul Reichler wanted to specify, to just clarify, but it's already implied. That's why even if we did not include it, the tribunal considered it because it's inherent in our claim that we have a full EEZ. When you say you have a full EEZ, that means there are no overlapping exclusive economic zones from other states. Okay. When you raise these issues in your column uh, with the Philippine Daily Inquirer last week, uh, one of the issues that uh, former Solicitor General Hilubay and former Justice uh, Hardelesa raised against you was that uh, you were just an observer. You were not exactly part of the team. Uh, that litigated this uh, this arbitration case. So just to clarify things, what was your status really? Your standing at that time? Well, when... In uh, relation to this case. When Secretary Del Rosario invited me to give him advice to join the delegation, to talk all over the world about this case, I said, I have to be a mere observer. I requested that I be designated only as an observer. Why? Because the Constitution prohibits members of the judiciary from performing executive functions. That's very express. Mm -hmm. So I said, I can only help you if I'm an observer. And I have to be uh, very clear on this because I don't want people to say later on that I am exercising executive functions, which is prohibited by the Constitution. And every time I would leave the country, for the DFA, I would get a resolution from the court and bank approving 
my travel. So it was because of my own request that I be designated an, as an observer. As an observer, I can give observations, recommendations. It's up to them, to the executive officials to follow my, my recommendations. But I have uh, that right as a citizen. I have freedom of expression. Yeah, because you were described by by the other side as an outsider who didn't really have a skin in the game. So that's I wanted you to clarify. Yes, you were the one who said the DFA requested me to go all over the world to go on a world lecture tour, sponsored by the DFA, arranged by the DFA in uh, 17 countries to explain the South China Sea dispute because this was part of the educational campaign to reinforce our arbitration case. Okay. Now, if there was one faction, which included the likes of uh, Hilbay and Janice Haldelesa, who were part of the other faction that you were talking about? Well, obviously, there is uh, Secretary Albert Delosario who fought to include uh, Ito Aba in the memorial, in the discussion, all the way from beginning to end. Okay. Because I remember the statement regarding this particular point by Justice Ardeles a few days ago was that explicitly he said, ah, sabi niya, it's embedded in my mind. Niya. In one meeting in Malacanang, uh, former Foreign Secretary Albert Lurisari said, no, we should uh, not amend the memorial. It's too risky, meaning to include Ito Aba. So you're saying two different, entirely different things. What I've been told is that uh... Secretary Del Rosario made a recommendation uh, to, to supporting the request of uh, uh, Paul Reitler to include Ituaba because Paul Reitler and uh, Secretary Del Rosario and myself were we were on the same thought. We we supported each other because the guy here who really is an expert is Paul Reitler, and. Uh, when this started, I recommended to uh, Secretary De Lozario to get the, the best experts in the U.S. and in Europe as our counsel. And that's how they uh, found about uh, Paul Reichler. Okay. There was also another point raised by Justice Ardelesa uh, during that interview a few days ago. He said, after the case was filed in 2013 by the Philippine government before the PCA in The Hague, you delivered speeches and you were basically, according to him, praising the complaint. So his question is, uh, kung sa umpisa, gusto niyo raw pala isama ang Ito Aba, bakit hindi kayo nagreklamo? You see, that was already implied. As I explained, yeah. Ito Aba was already included impliedly. There was no need. But when the other side started to pick on that, Paul Reichler just decided to clarify everything, to just put it to rest. And that's the uh, normal thing to do. That's the safest thing, safe thing to do for a lawyer. Yeah. But we were safe already and we knew it. But, you know, you, you have to be doubly safe in this kind of uh, litigation. You're talking about sovereign rights. You cannot leave it to chance. To be very, very specific, banggitin na ito aba. Even yes. if that was implied in the original filing. It was already implied. And in okay. fact, the court finally agreed. It's already implied, and that's exactly what the court said in the award. Okay. That is included. Okay, to help our viewers better understand, let's talk about Ito Aba, basically. What is Ito Aba, and what was the ruling by the Permanent Court of Arbitration? And what would have been the implications if, for example, Ito Aba was ruled as an island 
and not Iraq. Ituaba is the largest island in the Spratlys, about 47 hectares, compared to uh, Pag-asa, which we occupy. Uh, Pag-asa is about 37 hectares. Now, Ituaba is possessed by Taiwan, but under the One China policy, that's considered part of China. And besides, whoever owns it, whether it's owned by another country or not, it would the issue would be whether it generates an EZ. Because under UNCLOS, if uh, there are two islands that have overlapping EZ, one of the parties can opt out of compulsory arbitration. And that's exactly what China did. Probably China knew that we would be filing a case at some future time. And so China in 2006, remember China uh, joined UNCLOS, ratified it in 1996. It took them 10 years to opt out of compulsory arbitration uh, involving overlapping EEZ. And in 2006, they opted out. So it became a critical uh, whether Ituaba generated an EEZ or not, because its EEZ, if it, it has an EEZ, would overlap with the EEZ of Palawan, because the two islands are just a little over 200 nautical miles. There will be an overlap. And so it was necessary, the court said necessary, for them to determine the, the maritime zones that Ituaba generated. Very clear. Now, if you tell the court, do not determine that, the court will throw out the case. The entire case. Well, we will be happy if uh, they will leave this zone. But they could throw it out entirely. Okay. How, how, what do you make of this uh, response also by former Sojan Hilvai, saying that the Ituaba issue was actually a proxy. Uh, the debate over Ituaba was a proxy, quote-unquote. Uh, when it came to joint development? The word joint development was never mentioned in our statement of claim. In our 300-page memorial, it was never mentioned. In the transcript of oral arguments, the entire proceedings, the term joint development was never mentioned. In the questions, written questions that the judges wanted the Philippines to answer, joint development was never mentioned. And our lawyers never mentioned joint development in any of their submissions, written submissions. Joint development was not at all an issue. And you know why? Because when you talk of joint development, you talk of overlapping EEZ. Because if there are overlapping EEZ, the solution is joint development. But if we accept, if we talk joint development, we will be admitting there are overlapping EEZ. And the moment we do that, the case will be dismissed. So it was a no-no. You cannot discuss uh, joint development because the basis of joint development is all, are all, uh, overlapping EEZ by two countries. And China opted out of compulsory arbitration in case of overlapping EEZ. So the moment we talk about joint development, our case will be dismissed. Okay. You yourself. It's very clear. But in your case, what was your or what is your position regarding joint development? I said we do not talk about joint development while the proceedings were going on. But after the ruling, after the tribunal said that we have a full EEZ, there are no overlapping EEZ, then we can talk of, I call it cooperation agreement. Because joint development is a term used by China to say, to mean, if you go to their website, they have a definition of joint development. 
website of their foreign ministry. Joint development means China has sovereign rights over the uh, resources, and China will invite outside party to develop. That is their meaning of joint development. And I said, we should not talk about joint development. We use the term cooperation agreement. Cooperation agreement means we have the sovereign rights, but we invite foreigners, just like we invite Shell to, to extract the gas in Malampaya. So I said, we can enter into the memorandum of understanding that we signed last uh, 2018 with China and with the terms of reference to implement that MOU that was signed in 2019 because of two conditions. One, in the service contract under the MOU, because I said we can enter into an MOU provided it is under the service contract system of the Philippine government. And under our service contract, the first whereas clause is, it says, whereas the oil and gas belongs to the Philippine government. And there is a provision, another provision. Philippine law will govern this contract. Two conditions, I said. We can enter into an MOU, TOR with China, provided we preserve this. And China entered, but there was supposed to be a third agreement. The commercial agreement between Forum Energy and Sinop, China National Offshore Company. But China now insisted we remove that provision that Philippine law will govern. I said we cannot, uh, we cannot uh, give that up. We will stand our ground. That is so, non-negotiable. Yeah, joint development before we got we got the ruling was a no-no. After the ruling, we can talk about cooperation agreement. I I don't want to use joint development because China has appropriated that term. Okay. We use our own term, cooperation agreement. Like uh, Shell Malampaya is 90% uh, foreign owned before it was sold to Denisoy. So foreigners can extract oil and gas within our EEZ or even within our territorial sea. So somehow but they have to acknowledge that we own the oil and gas and the Philippine law will govern the contract. And such a... Uh, cooperation development cannot move in any way if China would, would insist on its sovereign rights and yes, not recognize the, the, the provisions that we should have been including in those service the service contract. Yeah, because the basis of the MOU, if you look at the MOU, it will be under the service contract system of the Philippines. I said that's fine because under a service contract system, whoever is a foreign service contractor must admit, acknowledge that we own the oil and gas. And if China signs that, they are in effect ad admitting now, accepting the arbitral award. I said, that will be great because Sinuk is 100% China-owned, state-owned company of China. If Sinuk signs a, a cooperation agreement with a Forum Energy under the service contract system, they would in effect be admitting that we own the oil and gas. That's acceptance of the arbitral award. There are two more points uh, that were raised by um, former Justice Hardilesa, which I would like you to respond to. Uh, number one, he said that uh, almost everything that you included in your column last week were very disturbing. Sabi niya, why make these statements with President Aquino not around anymore? It's so unfair, according to him, to President Aquino, so unfair to somebody who just died. And number two, according to him, his, his claim was that uh, you were then, after the filing was made, uh, before the PCA, you were pending a piece of paper where you were against arbitration and you were, according to him, allegedly in favor of conciliation. 
Okay, one, uh, in my column, I praise President Aquino for his courage and wisdom in filing the case. It was a tribute to President Aquino. It was, the, I said, the most enduring legacy of President Aquino. Now, on that, uh, if you look at the position paper that I presented before the tribunal, before we filed the case, I said, there are two ways here. We can either file compuls compulsory conciliation or compulsory arbitration, because UNCLOS allows both. You, when do you file compulsory conciliation? You file compulsory conciliation if there are overlapping EEZ. And that's exactly what Timor, uh, Timor is, as, uh, is Timor did when it filed the case against Australia. Because Australia withdrew from the compulsory uh, arbitration. It uh, opted out before it, East Timor could file the case. So East Timor used that compulsory conciliation and East Timor successfully used it, it won. So I said, in the event that there will be uh, an overlapping EZ, we still have a fallback compulsory conciliation. But Option compulsory two, arbitration two. is also allowed. And let I said, we have to consult the foreign experts to determine which would be filed. But there we have two options here. Okay. Now, let's go to the more important issue because we don't want the discussion to be bogged down with what happened before. Anyway, the PCA has already ruled in favor of the Philippines, uh, especially Ito Aba. It was not ruled as an island uh, which could sustain life, right? So there's no overlapping EEZ, EEZs with the, Philippine, with the Philippines. Now, moving forward, we're about to mark uh, five years since the ruling was made. How do you think this should be moved forward in terms of enforcing or perhaps reinforcing this ruling, given what has been happening under the Duterte administration. Uh, to, to be blunt about it, there was uh, reluctance on the part of the president to actually uh, push the envelope as far as the PCA ruling was concerned. Well, I have uh, discussed this several times already. First, we should sponsor a resolution in the United, United Nations General Assembly. Sponsor a resolution saying, China must comply with international law. China must comply with the ruling and put it to a vote. And we will win because we have the support of the developed countries, EU, uh, G, G, uh, G22, uh, G7, and uh, Japan, Australia, uh, India. Second, we should file uh, uh, an extended continental shelf claim of the coast of Luzon facing the South China Sea because we have to file, just like uh, what we did in the uh, Philippine Sea, uh, we filed uh, an extended constitutional shelf claim in Benham Rice and we won. We should file another one, but the Duterte administration doesn't want to displease President Xi Jinping by f because that the only opposing country there is China. Third, we should uh, welcome the freedom of navigation operations of the US and its allies, because every time, and they do this every 45 days, every time they sail in the West Philippine Sea, they are debunking the China's claim that those waters are not the EEZ of an adjacent coastal state. Because when the US sailed there, they claim that these are exclusive economic zone waters of a coastal state. And the only coastal state is the Philippines. And in the EEZ, you can conduct naval drills, and they conduct naval drills. So they actually debunk, forcefully in, uh, refute China's claim 
Third, fourth rather, we should uh, enter into an agreement with Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, Indonesia to jointly patrol our exclusive economic zones in the South China Sea. So they will come to the West Philippine Sea to jointly patrol. We will go to Vietnam's EZ to jointly patrol. We will go to Malaysia's EZ to jointly patrol. And uh, the Tuna Islands, the EZ of the Indonesian in the two islands joint, you know, jointly patrol to show to China that there are these countries of exclusive economic zones unimpaired by the nine dash line. And that will be enforcing the arbitral award by state practice. Okay. I'd also like to take advantage of your other position as one of the conveners of the Isambayan coalition. This is also a very important topic that we need to discuss. Uh, of course, I know that your coalition has been preparing for the 2022 elections, trying to mobilize as many support as you can. But in the meantime, there's a lot of uh, buzz. And in fact, President Duterte himself, based on his latest pronouncements, is very much open already to, to running for vice president. First, the legal aspect of it. Can the president really run for vice president after he, uh, after 2022, after he, but during 2022 elections? Well, there are opposing uh, opinions here. Uh, there are those who say that he cannot, others who say he can. I think this should be thrown to the Supreme Court for resolution. But if you ask my personal opinion, I think the prohibition in the Constitution is against re-election. So the president cannot run for any re-election. So when you run for another office, that is not a re-election. But that's only my personal opinion. This should be thrown to the Supreme Court for a decision. But isn't that a backdoor to the presidency? Because uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it should be thrown to the Supreme Court for decision. My personal opinion is, when you read the text of the Constitution, it says the president cannot run for any re-election. Re-election, in the ordinary meaning of the word, is running for the same position. So uh, it needs to be interpreted by the Supreme Court, and let's uh, let's do that. Let people file a case. How about the, uh, the 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 bigger political implication of it? Let's say President Duterte running for vice president. In the meantime, his own daughter Sara Duterte uh, likely gunning for the presidency. I mean, what do you think of this? We have supposedly well, an anti-Chinese provision in the Constitution, but no enabling law. Well, if they do that. Uh, then the people will have to decide, do they want this kind of regime? Do they want this kind of politics? Father and daughter running as president and vice president. I mean, the Davao formula, they do this in Davao. Do we want that to be made nationwide now? Is that the kind of politics that the nation wants? It's good. It becomes a referendum on that issue. But what if that tandem emerges and actually succeeds what I it doubt, say about I doubt our political it. system our electoral system i think the people are wise enough not to allow it okay former senior associate justice of the supreme court antonio carpio thank you very much sir for joining us this evening thank you christian